Do you have an inquisitive mind? Where do you go for answers? Imagine if the natural world held an answer to every question. Welcome to the Flowerhood Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Frankpitt. I'm on an orchard growing avocados and there's something going on. The more time I spend in nature, the more I learn about myself. Is it possible that until we connect with nature, we never truly flourish in our relationships, community, businesses or health? Oh boy, this is no ordinary gardening podcast. Join me at my kitchen table for wide and varied conversations with old and new friends from around the world. I'll be asking questions on how they connect with nature, what the research shows us, and look for ways we can incorporate these learnings into our lives. Let's get started. There's a whisper. It's sitting there in the back of your mind, a small voice talking about a big dream. You spend years working and every now and then the voice pipes up, yet there's always the same excuse. Yes, I'm listening, little voice. I'll follow the dream when I have enough money, enough resources, enough time. And sadly, for many of us, we get to the end of our working lives and we've never followed that dream. Yet for some, our life circumstances bring us into a collision path and we're brought face to face with that voice. We stand there at the crossroads, staring the little voice down. And in that moment, we make a decision to follow the dream. Kia ora, welcome to the Flowerhood Podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest, Dwayne Hyler. Dwayne studied engineering and business at Arizona State University. For 35 years, he worked in building and construction as a contractor, developer, and engineer. He was founder and CEO of August Company, custom home and class A construction throughout California. He was founder of Vitruvian. He designed, engineered, and patented a highly efficient net zero energy low carbon footprint building system. Two years ago, Dwayne made a monumental decision. And today I want to explore what took Dwayne from highly successful engineer and business owner to a man who turned his back on it all, sold up and headed out into nature. And Dwayne's version of nature is the wilderness of the sea. Dwayne, welcome to the Flowerhood Podcast. Wow, that is quite an introduction. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I got to ask, have I got your surname correct for a start? How do you Heil, say yeah. it? Heil, yeah. It's Heil, yeah. It's Heil. And that, that has a lot of double connotations. But, you know, this year I was got, during COVID, we got sequestered with a German family. Yes. And, you know, the name Heil's always had, you know, association with World War II and Hitler and everything. But these Germans and this one woman, he was a woman and a man and their three kids. And they're all living on this little tiny boat. They did the same thing I did. And they, she's a school teacher. And I said, hey, what is, anyway, you know, it's Heil. You know, they kind of rolled their eyes. They go, well, you know, actually, Heil is actually a very good word in German. It means a lot, has, has all part of it. It means the highest. It means to be well. And some other acronyms, I can't remember in the moment, but yeah, it's all positive word. Wow. But it, because it was used in that way, it gave it a negative connotation. Yeah. So I was really happy to, to learn that. But anyway, that's how you pronounce it, Kyle. Fantastic. And you know, you're bringing the true meaning of the word back again anyway. So look, I'd, <laughs> love, to, I'd love to know, firstly, like, where are you calling in from? And you're on a boat. I can see this. Obviously, our, our listeners can't. But tell mm-hmm. us the name of your boat as well. Okay. So the boat's name is Grateful. And I've been living on her for two years. And I started in Turgatries, Turkey. That's just on near Bodrum. That's a town a lot of people have heard of. And then I sailed all over the Mediterranean, out to the Canary Islands and back to the Mediterranean where I am now. And in the last two years, I've done about 11,000 miles. And Oof. at the moment, I'm in a, a, a harbor, or I'm not even in the harbor, I'm just in a big, huge cove that's called Andrach. It's A-N-D-R-T-X. Andrach, 
X. They call it Endretch. And it's in Mallorca of the Balearic Islands of Spain. So I'm in Spain. And that's where I'm at the moment. And I'm on what's called a mooring ball, we call it. It's, you're, it's not an anchor. I don't have my anchor out. It's actually somebody has set a huge chunk of concrete on the ocean floor. And I'm tied onto that. And how I got onto that is a whole story in itself, too. (laughs) There's a story behind everything that's amazing. It's just one day after another. And I'm actually am writing a lot, all of this. And if you follow my Instagram is where I write most of the stories. That's at grateful travel. You can, you go way back and to the beginning of the pictures and you actually read the stories. It kind of tells the story as it goes through. It's sort of like a long chapter after chapter. Oh, look, that's brilliant. So if you're happy to dive straight in, many people will be hearing your story for the very first time. So what was happening in your life that led you to this decision to sell up and leave California? Okay. So I've had this dream sailing around the world forever. And I first you know, thought about it when I was a little kid, I, um, fifth grade, I remember, well, I wanted to be part, I wanted to do everything with the ocean and the water. And I, it was a rainy day and I I grew up in suburban Los Angeles in a little town called Hacienda Heights. It's like any other freeway city. And, you know, like you're talking about, you live on an avocado orchard. Well, we had one in our backyard too. And then we had a lemon orchard and even the but at that young, I was making gardens of my own in the back. I would grow vegetables. I had my own little vegetable garden at like eight years old. And then by the time I was 10 or 12, I think it was 10 years old in fifth grade, we were at lunch one day at, in elementary school and it was a rainy day. And so they kept us in the general purpose room. And I remember as Mr. McDonald at lunchtime, he had this film, a real to real film, old school. <laughs> And it was of surfing in Hawaii. And here I was 20 miles from the ocean. And I saw this surfing flick from Hawaii. And we were like, and this is like, well, I'm, I'm 58. So the 1962, so 1972, when surfing first became sort of popular, you know? Yeah. So yeah. pop culture is when the Aussies first started coming to Hawaii, et cetera. So it's just big waves, crazy surfing. Fifth graders were like, what is this? And it was pouring rain outside. And I remember, and then, he, we watched it all and I was glued to it. It's a big screen, you know, projector, reel to reel. And he plays it backwards because it was like 15 minutes long. And I was like, ah, oh my God, this is amazing. And, and I ran home and I told my mom and dad, I said, I'm going to be a surfer. This is it. This is what I want to do. I know I want to be on the water. And there was some sailing in there. I said, and there's boats. Ah. So. I had a friend, his dad had a boat, I started sailing with him down in the big water, you know, like 45 foot boat, blah, blah, blah. So life goes on. And by the way, 14, I get, I saved up all my pennies. I worked for my dad in construction and I got a sailboat. I got a little Hobie cat, 16 foot. I paid a thousand dollars for an old beat up used one, but it worked just fine. Kept it on the beach. I tied it up to a big seawall. Didn't have a trailer. Go down there every weekend. I'd push it out in the water and just go, sail it and get it sideways and jump the waves and everything that a Hobie cat does. Great. And then I went to, you know, grew up, went to college and every chance I get a sail, sail. And it was always my dream to sail around the world. And I'm, I had a really, uh, you know, there was a lot of events in my life that occurred and they all sort of had a sailboat uh, associated with sort of the, the epiphany was having to do with the sailboat. One Good example I can give you. I got out of high school. I was 18 years old. Myself and three friends, we went to Hawaii and we were hiked. We went surfing. There was no waves for, we went, did the whole summer there. There was no waves for about a week. So we decided to go to the North Shore of Kauai and hike what's called the Kalala Valley and the Kalala Mountain Trail. It's like 11 mile walk in. And it's like where they filmed Planet, I think like Tarzan or, or something. Jurassic I don't know. Park. Jurassic Park? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. all these. It's just, it's just a natural, amazing amphitheater of big, sharp mountains covered in green. Mm. I think King Kong. I think they filmed King Kong. Oh. Whatever. It's probably, they probably filmed all kinds of stuff. But it's a very amazing place. Waterfalls every once in a while. Big, steep cliffs. You go up 2,000 feet. Then you go down to the ocean, up 2,000 feet, up and down, up and down. It's a really torturous trail. And then you end up in this Shangri-La. 
this big, beautiful white beach. And then all along, there's big mountains that come down to the sand, and those are caves. And the caves, you know, they're not that deep. They're probably 20, 30 feet deep, but they're huge. And so you can walk in, and it rains like all the time there. It's like tropical little thunder clouds. And, and so you want to be in there. If you're going to be sleeping on the beach, you kind of tuck yourself into a cave so you don't get soaked at night. And they're high enough up so the even with the tide, you're not getting slammed by the waves. Now, in the wintertime, uh, you would get the waves probably come all the way up, but it's summertime, so there's really not much swell. So we're safe, and we're not, there's a lot of people camping. You know, there's probably 30, 40, 50 people along, scattered along the beach, and there's a little ranger station, so it's regulated. And so we just take a, you just camp out wherever you want. And so we camped in one of these caves, and lo and behold, about 3 in the morning – the cave caved in. And I mean, it wasn't just a few rocks. It was like the rocks the size of Volkswagens tumbling down. And I lost everything I had. I lost my backpack, my plane tickets, my driver's license. I don't think I even had a passport then. But everything. And like, we didn't get a scratch on us. It was amazing. I mean, just, it was like divine intervention. Just bam! And since then, by the way, today, it's illegal to even go in there. Like, we were like the crash test dummies. And so we survive. We walk out of there. And, well, I lost everything. I didn't even have shoes. I had my, like, my swim trunks on. So I was sleeping in that in a little blanket. And I had no money. It's all gone. So it's under the rock. Like, I couldn't reach it. I was scared to go back in there to even dig. It's like, oh, it's going to crash again. That was like three in the morning. We're freaking out. We're crying on the beach. You know, four guys were hugging each other. Like, what just happened? Anyway, during that day, this out of the coming around the corner in the ocean, this beautiful white boat sailing, tacking up back and forth. Just tacking. And I could hear them on the boat talking to each other. And it was that crystal clear and in the background of those mountains. And, and I was like, oh my God. That's salvation. That's, that's like, this is a sign. I'm going to sail the world. And I just like, I just took this. I got to do this. I got to do this. All right. So I decide. Then I go back. I'm 18. I go to school. Uh, six years or whatever. I become an engineer. I travel for a while. I spent three years traveling all around Southeast Asia and Australia. But eventually, you know, I said, you know what? I want to sail around the world, but I want to have a few bucks in my pocket. So I come back to California get my contractor's license, start building. And for 30, like you said, 35 years, say I was 25, 35, 45, 55. Well, I started when, whatever, long time, 30. I start. I built my first house when I was really young, 15, 18. I did a couple with my dad and started doing my own thing. Built many, many, many homes in California. And, um, and all during that, I uh, wanted to escape. I really did not love that whole life. It was all just to make a buck. And I made a lot of money. I did. I was very successful. And like you, when you said in the introduction, I was a developer and engineer and I did patent this automated home building system called Vitruvian built. Got highly recognized. Got, you know, people were really excited about it. I did it before green was a word. And so I was really just an efficiency nut. And it was all about just solving problems. I was kind of a problem-solving guy. And, and if you go online, if you want to see it, it's on YouTube. You can go Vitruvian Built and V-I-T-R-U-V-I-A-N-B-U-I-L-T, all one word. And you can see the video. Uh, there was a guy, a Hollywood producer, who was one of my neighbors. And he really liked what it was all about. So he volunteered and made a really cool documentary. It's about 10 minutes long. Okay, so I've watched that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so that people can watch it. I have a question anyway, around yeah, there. Okay. Is that you in that <laughs> video? That's me, yeah. Okay, okay. that is I know, I look a lot freaky. younger now, I? So I know. Okay, not only am I going to put, now that the cat's out of the bag, not only am I going to put a link to that, I want to put a link to one of your little videos of how you are now, perhaps something off the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So you when you become, look, when you live, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, you, isn't you it? You are and the Vitruvian man now. You were exactly. not that Vitruvian man 10 no, years ago. No, You have light and laughter now? Yeah. You're dark in there. Yeah, I know. 
I know. I know. And that's the thing. You know, when I did that, I wrote the theory for that. I wrote the basis and the, the theory behind that when I was a, a senior in college. Yeah. And, you know, it's a big, long story. I'm writing a book about it. And, but, you know, I had to hire software engineers and machine builders, and it, it required all the tenants of my, you know, everything I could think of. And it took me five years. I, they used to call me the mad scientist, you know, and it was all just because I knew all these facets of construction building and engineering. I put them all together as one big program. And when it got published, it got me a lot of notoriety. I mean, I would sit, I got calls from every corner of the world. You know, you heard of Fast Company. The magazine is sort of the, Fast Company is a pretty popular magazine for publishing any new inventions and ideas in the world that are kind of significant. And I didn't know it, but I got written up in that. And as soon as that came out, I started, the phone started ringing like crazy. And it sort of took on a life of its own after that. So it, it was popular. In hindsight, it, by the way, it didn't make any money. That was the funny thing about it. It was just, uh, it never got mature enough to actually become a profitable thing. But it was definitely, it changed a lot of people's ideas about how we should build. Yeah. And it was my little thing that I had to, I had to put out. But when I was doing it, I was so hell-bent studying on this. But I want to back up a little bit before that, because what's important is that in my building years, I had a definite goal that I wanted to get a certain amount of security in my life. And I don't spend much money living the way I did. And I never have. However, I was married and I had three kids. And my wife at the time and my kids, really my wife, she had an entirely different idea of what life should be. And we thought we worked this out before we were, we were, you know, married and it turns it out, she had a different idea. So what was that? When I, what was that idea? She wanted to live very, she lived well. She wanted to so live well. She wanted to, possessions? Big like houses, having, nice things. I, I, yeah, I just didn't care. I'm a very simple, simple person. I just, I'm very efficient. I can, I'm good at creating things, but I don't really care about stuff. I'm very unaffected by things. And there's a whole lifestyle decision behind that that goes way back when I was a kid, but I don't really care. I mean, I've always lived well, but I, most of the days, my whole wardrobe consisted of a pair of shorts, work boots, white socks, and a white t-shirt. And I lived like that pretty much all my life. And I mean, to put me in nice clothes was really an oddball thing. I might once a month, I might dress up. And I, so I always drove a truck. I always had just a crappy truck and that was enough. I mean, it ran well and I keep it clean, but it wasn't like the big raised four wheel drive thing with the mutters. Not that I have anything against it. It just, it doesn't do anything for me. I can't use my energy to be bothered with any of that. Yeah. I'm not a car person. Like I drive well, a 2000 old year old car, okay. 2000 year old. It is 2000 year old. My car, <laughs> it's got wooden wheels. No, I've got yeah. a, you know, a, car from the year 2000 and mm-hmm. and I don't have that thing in me that wants I want to drive a sports car or a expensive car I just I love engineering you know and I love well-built things and mm. I love German cars from that standpoint I look at them I go yeah that's beautiful that's great and I, I love anything well done but to me I was just wanted to go sailing and so I was trying to save my money <laughs> And get to this point where I could go sail around the world. And we had talked about this, my, yes. my ex-wife and I. And, but after we had three kids, she changed her mind. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. Okay. So we negotiated. We moved from the city. And we kind of did a halfway thing from living in Oakland and San Francisco. And we moved to this little bucolic town called San Luis, it's called San Luis Obispo. And it bought a 10-acre ranch with nothing on it, built out this whole ranch thing and, you know, a, a barn and kids had horses. And, and then it was like, I used to call that my boat. I said, I, I invited very people to come over. I go, this is my boat. This 10 acres represents my trip. And it was like a fantasy that I would have. And it's because I just wanted to keep my family together. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I'm one fifth now because I had three kids. So I'm one fifth. And you know, everybody else had a vote. Like, all right, well, maybe when they grow up and go to college, what I get to do with that. And so we kept it together. Uh, and, but when 
that was going on, that's when I went off the, the, and I built all this other stuff, this building machine. And that's the video that you see. And I had to tell you all that to tell you about that video is that in my mind, I really wasn't there. But, and I kept dreaming about this because I had visualized this since I was a kid. The whole idea behind that was just to have efficiency all the way through. And I, you know, well, okay, I got to back up. My motivation for that started when I was in high school as well. I was a work, my dad had a big construction company and that's where I learned all this very young. But I was mostly the gopher. And what we, and in LA, in, driving around LA, a gopher is a guy who goes for this and goes for that. They call him a gopher. And I would drive around in trucks all day on the LA freeways in the horrible thick brown smog. And a lot of times I'd end up being the trash guy. So you'd go to these job sites and you fill up your truck with trash. And on the way home, you stop at the dump, the tip. You guys call it the tip. And in Los Angeles, there's a mountain just east of Los Angeles. It's called the Pointy Hills Landfill. This thing is the size of a city. I mean, it's huge. It's like a mile square. It's so big. You cannot believe it. It's a pile of trash. It's just been built and built. It didn't used to be a mountain there. They made a mountain. And they bring in dirt, and they mix it with trash, and they bury it. And they fill in dirt. And I used to go up there and contribute to that every day. And I would just like shake my head and go, what in the world are we doing? This is psychotic. I mean, like, it was just so much trash. And L.A. is just a big kind of weird experiment of, you know, putting 20 million people and huge consumers in one place. And I lived right behind us in Hacienda Heights. I mean, like the next hill over and you could smell it sometimes. It was gross. And every day I'd go there and like dump stuff in it. I was like, what? what? How is this okay? How, who's watching this? But just the machine's going so fast, you don't have time yeah. to think about it. So when I got older, I said, we got to stop this trash. Well, how are we going to do it? Well, it's just through better planning. Right. I mean, if you plan out like making a cake really, really, really well, you'll know exactly how much flour to buy and put sugar and, and shortening and all the other stuff and how many apples you have to cut up. And you, if you do, if you're really, really, really good. You won't have a trash pile. I mean, you might even figure out something to do with the apple seeds. And so it's all about efficiency. Right. And so I was like, well, how can we build efficiently so we don't have this trash pile? And so when I went to college, I was, I saw this, Oh, that's too long of a story. I mean, it'll, it'll take the whole thing up. But anyway, that's fine, I had but you saw the problem and you wanted I saw to the solve problem. it. We built it and, and we yeah. and we built this thing. And and then, but when you saw me, this all comes back to who I am now. It's like, hey, who is that guy? I don't recognize him. And people think I've lost at least 15 years off my life since then. Okay. And so yes. I always wanted to go. I'd always, it was always planted in my mind to do yes. this. However, I was scared to death to break away Okay, because it's like you do the same thing every day, every day, every day. And, you know, and I look back at my roots, it's like, yeah, I was a little farmer. You know, I used to love the, the, the lemon orchards. And I remembered about the lemon orchards. This is a thing that I've really always, the story I tell often is that my brother and I built tree forts in one of the lemon orchards, one of the lemon trees. And it was kind of close to the house and we would drive nails in that thing and, just destroy it, tear limbs off. But it was the highest producing tree of the whole orchard. Oh. Right? So yeah. it was amazing. I remember that thing. It's just bodacious. And I was like, why is that? I don't get, you know, because it, it liked the attention. It liked the strain, the stress of having two little kids just playing it. It's like the giving tree. And I, I you know, you really do need to talk to your plants. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and you do. And play in them. And with everything that you want yeah. to flourish. You have to give it a lot of attention. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a sort of throwback to, it's like what the things that you give attention to are going to flourish. And so I, when I was 51, I found out I was going to be single again. I was going to be divorced. It wasn't my idea. I was like, what? And then I ended up like going well, and I was broke again totally broke after being extremely wealthy and the California divorce the laws were that way. And I, I ended up the wrong side of the lawyers and I was like zero that by the time I got out of court, it was 53 and I was standing there oh stunned and amazed. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what do I do? And so I, I took some chances. I built a few more houses 
And I made about one-tenth the money that I had before. Yeah. And I said, you know what? This is nowhere near what I thought would be enough. But you know what else? Is that I have to do this. And so when I was 53, I made the, I, well, it took me four more years, three more years, uh, 53, 56. And I said, I don't care. I know I have X amount of money. I am going to live my dream now. Okay, so what was that shift? When you hit that lowest moment, how was it that you shifted, like your mind shifted at that point? At that point, I mean, I knew I would kept doing this. I remember there was a woman that I met through uh, this the house that I was living in. I was, I was living in houses with a bunch of people, like in Oakland, just because I would share a house with like 15 people. We'd all get a room. It was sort of this communal living thing. And by the way, my kids today are 25, 23, and 21. So at the time, they were just getting out of high school, but I was like out, you know, it's like this whole new life. It's crazy the way it works in California. But Have you stayed in touch with I, them? Are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I try. Yeah. My girls don't, they're, they're on a different plane. My son, I talk to them all the time. One of my daughters, I talk to the other ones. They, they have a different idea. It's crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it breaks my heart every day. I call them all the time. They don't necessarily answer. It's crazy. But... My son, he's, I talk to him all the time and, you know, we get together and that's cool. I wish I'd spend more, I wish he would spend more time with me, but he's being a businessman. He's cool. He's a very cool kid. They're all good kids. They're all great (laughs) kids, but they have different ideas. I don't really want to go too far into that. Yeah, no, no problem. I I love them a lot. I wish the best for them. And I, you know, I, it's, uh, I was there every day. We were married for 22 years and I was there every day and uh, they have their own ideas about life. So, when I'm 56, well, you, you say, what is that shift? Mm. And it was really, really hard because you do the same thing every day. Like, you know, I knew how to get up, make phone calls, call the concrete company, call the engineers, figure out a better way to get X, Y, Z done. Just be, be efficient, right? You know, and all these things that I thought about. But in the back of my head, it's like, no, nah, I want to sail, get on a boat and sail around the world. And all right, I'm going to do that. You make the decision, you know, you're going to do it. But then actually to say no to people, like, cause yeah. the people keep calling me, right? They say, Hey, I got this new lot, Dwayne, you know, will you help me get it developed? What's the next thing we're going to build? You know, you have partners who have cash and they need to put it somewhere. Let's, let's buy this and develop that. And it's almost like saying no to a party date. You know, it's the same sort of feeling. And so it's really, really hard to say no. And I met this woman who was really cool. Her name's Minda Aguhab. And she kind of lived in this house in another room. And she was like hearing me say this. And she said, hey, you know, when are you, you said you're going to go say it. When are you really going to do this? I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it in the future. And she goes, you know, you need to make a, a hard line. You need to actually say it and mean it. And then fall through. You need to make, like, to convince yourself. So right. you don't just keep putting this thing off. Commit and take an action. <laughs> yeah. And take a connection and take a mm. hard line with myself. Mm. And I was like, okay. And so I took her challenge. It was kind of a challenge. Like, you know, you said you build your brand challenge. Well, this was, you know, make yourself go challenge. And so I started saying it like I meant it. And I, maybe more to answer your question is the thing that, really made me believe that, okay, I have to do this now. It's like, I put myself on hold for until I was, you know, I kept my family together. And then when that thing came unraveled, I was like, oh my God, you know, you think you are putting towards something that you have this fabric towards Mm. and it can just get torn away. You know, I don't know if you read all the stories that I wrote, but there was one in there where I was in Montenegro. I, it doesn't come to mind that one. Okay. It's, it's quite a ways back, but yeah. I was sailing from Albania to Montenegro. Yeah. And one of my friends in the morning, just randomly, I was writing one of the stories and he sent me this quote by John Cougar Mellencamp. You remember him? Oh God, I loved him. <laughs> you're dating yourself but (laughs) sorry about that so yeah John Kruger Mellencamp and he wrote this passage it was so cool and it was just random that my good friend of mine sent it to me he says because you know there's no crown in heaven waiting for us 
for settling for something we don't want. And if you settle for something you don't want, then you're only going to be dissatisfied yourself. So take responsibilities for decisions that you make and stick by them. So don't compromise yourself and stick to what you really believe you want. And he just wrote that. And I just happened to be writing this, this passage. And I write stories about things that happen every couple of days. So if you follow my, my Instagram and dig into them and they, I've had, that one actually got published in a uh, sailing magazine. And, but I put that, that quote at the end and I, I, you know, that was already sailing by that time, but I think that same epiphany happened right at, if I look back, I was like, what was I doing? I left. I mean, I, I stayed and I should have been, I should have kept to my convictions. All right. So, and then I, I had my chance. And even after I had my chance, even when I was 56, I had started saying no to people. I was said no to all new business. I kept saying no, no, no. And I kept on, if I met new people, they'd say, oh, hey, you know, you know, if I was dating and, and a girl would say, oh, what are you doing? And I'd say, well, I'm, I'm going sailing. And they'd say, well, it doesn't look like you're going sailing. You're building a house here and you, you live in that and you got a car and a truck and you're here. And I said, no, 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 I'm going, I'm going. I'd have to start telling people, just there's no doubt about so it. So you were changing your and, identity yes, in your mind. Wild. Because if you're not consistent with the identity, you're never going to do the things that you really want to do. Yeah. And imagining that, you know, you had this identity before where you were a developer, you were, you know, running these companies and, and your friends, your acquaintances, your business people, they saw you in that and they, they hold you in there and they become uncomfortable if you start to change that identity. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People freak out and, and it's like, they freak out. They're like, what? Yeah. 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 So it's really hard, you know, because you don't want to make them uncomfortable. You know, you're at a dinner party and you know, there you live a block away and you all of a sudden you say, yeah, I'm going to go sail that boat around the world. They go, well, I thought you were going to play, you know, cards with us next week forever. <laughs> and and it's like when you believe in something, you got to really keep it in your mind. So I started saying no and then saying it enough, I really said, okay, I'm really, really going to do this. And I'd sailed a lot before, right? I knew how to fix things and I was yeah. already, you know, I had no fear. But actually, like buying a ticket and leaving and to go find my boat, and that's a whole nother <laughs> long story. But I, I had rented my house out and I had a little apartment downstairs. It was a two bedroom apartment and I rented out one of the rooms of the apartment. So I, I sold, I rented myself out till I just had one little tiny room left in my house. You were downsizing. And, yeah, <laughs> getting, yeah, ready, downsizing getting ready. Downsizing. <laughs> I went from like five boxes to three boxes to one box and you know, and I just like gave a bunch of clothes away and I gave my bicycle away. You just needed to be the lady. guy coming out of that cave with just your, yeah, your swimsuit exactly. on and yeah, nothing yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And the boat, exactly. the vision of the yeah, boat and the vision out there. Boat, right? Okay. I got it was a it. sign. <laughs> but even when I did all that, yeah. I started that in like um, downsizing it hard. I put the house for sale in like a March, April of 2016. What are we not? What are we? 20, maybe 17. Yeah, it was 17. So all of 18, all of 19, or 20. Well, I, maybe it was 17, 18, 2018. So I was downsized everything and I'd rented out my house to this guy named Justin Wilcox. He rented out the big house upstairs is the three-bedroom house and the downstairs is the two-bedroom apartment. And it's in the Oakland Hills. has a nice view of the city, you know, and, and it's like, okay, this guy, Justin Wilcox, who is the head coach for the Cal Berkeley football team. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, and that's a pretty big deal. I mean, wow, this guy. Big job? That's, big that's a big job. He's a packed in. You know, and so they don't just hire any slouch to run 120 of the country's best athletes, right, from all over the world. You know, they, these guys are amazing. They're not only are they scholars, but they're athletes as well. So it's high, the top, top performing people of the country. He's responsible for them, right? Make sure they stay healthy, wealthy, and, or stay healthy and, and wise, I guess, and don't screw up and show up every Saturday morning ready to hit, 
hit people and to keep their grades up. So he's got to motivate everybody and keep it all together. Yeah, one vision. They've got to hold their identities. He's like right there. <laughs> he's living in my house by himself. And I was like, when he first came to Reddit, I was like, who are you? And he says, and I didn't even know because I don't really follow sports. I'm not a sports, big sports fan. And I was like, and he explained, he goes, I said, oh, really? I go, wow, that's a big damn deal. Congratulations, you know? And he was, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud, you know, I could do this. And he was a really humble guy. So he's living upstairs and he, and he says, well, how come you're renting this out? What are you doing? How come you're leaving here? And I said, I told him, I'm going to go on the sales trip. And he goes, oh, that's so cool. Oh, I'm so envious. It's great that you're doing that. Congratulations. And then well, I don't really talk to him much more. We do the business, the deposits. And in the beginning of September, he moves in. And I'm staying in this little tiny room downstairs. And from the room, I can see the garage where he parks every day. And so he'd pull any kind of wave at me, January, September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th. Every day he comes home and I'm sitting there. And every day he comes, I have really no new business going on. But I'm making phone calls and checking stuff out. I'm kind of screwing around. Looking busy. Yeah, I'm looking busy. And after about 14 days, he stops and without asking, he walks in and just sits down in my room. He pulls up a chair backwards. He goes, hey, man, what's going on? I thought you were going to sing. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. I got to, you know, I'm doing this and doing that. And he just cut me off in the middle of it. He goes, hey, you know what? This is what you should do. And I know you really believe in it. And we're all counting on you to do this, you know, because you're the only one who can do it. And I just sat there staring at him like, oh, my God. I've just been coached by, you know, this one of the, the best coaches in the country. And then he gets up because, you know what? I've had a really hard day. I'm going to go upstairs and make myself a drink. I'll talk to you later. You know what to do. And I just sat there stunned. I was like, and after, it took me about two minutes to pick up the phone and book a ticket to where I knew there was a boat in England. Oh my God, that is just fantastic. Wow. Yeah. What a story. Straight to the heart. Straight yeah, to the right? heart. Totally believed in your new identity. Uh-huh. Kind of gave you that push that impetus yeah and i've written him a letter since then and now and now yeah. you're here you're on the boat so just give me a little idea like because there must be a real change from your old routine of life and your new oh. routine what what does a day on the boat look like okay so here's the subtlety of living you know the go-go city that i was and being chased by lawyers and accountants and taxmen and, and owners and developers and real estate agents every day. And, and to just trying to live differently. And I, I kind of base it around a cup of coffee. I used to, and one of the last jobs I had was I built a really famous coffee house in Oakland called Cole Coffee. So you ever go to Oakland, go to Cole Coffee. It's on Rockridge Boulevard. I will. Um, I love my coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's really an amazing place. And, and it's a little coffee shop. It's a coffee shop. It's, uh, they make waffles and really good coffee. There. Anyway, I, I got a contract to build that. And I uh, would drink a latte, costs $4.75. And if you add a double, make it a double, it's six bucks. And I would easily go. And I would down that sucker in about, 12 minutes. So I, my goal now is to drink, is to grind my coffee by hand, which I do. I start with beans out of a grinder and I get my, my, get my water just before the point of boiling. I sit there and I watch it on the boat. That takes a while. And then I grind the coffee, which takes a while. And then I slowly take time to drink it. And I make that experience last for, I'm about up to about an hour now. So, and it costs probably, I don't know, 25 cents. And so the way I look at it is I've gone from consuming $6 in 12 minutes. So if there's 12 times there's five, it's a $30 an hour affair to doing 25 cents in an hour. And I'm going to push it to two hours. So it, the, I went from $30 an hour to $0.25 cents an hour. So 
25, there's four times three. It's a 120 fold increase in the pleasure of drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah. And, and this- <laughs> okay. So that's kind of how I make every decision now. It's like today I had, you know, there's maintenance things to do on boats. You take, uh, like you got to maintain, there's a lot of motors that drive things and pumps and things. And if I don't have the time to fix that motor during that day, I just let it go until the next day and I'll put all my tools in a pile and, and I, you know, I plan it out. So they're not in the middle of a storm or something. And I take time as much as I want. So I take, you say the word take my time. And because time is the valuable thing. And I've found that as I'm taking my time, I'm taking my time. Like you said, I don't look anything like I did when I was dark and in my mid forties and now I'm 58 People generally think, if I don't say them, that I'm 42. That's like the popular number. That's, you read the book, The Secret of Life, 42. But, but it's somewhere between 42 and 45. And I'm very comfortable with my age, but if I'm talking and hanging out with people, that's what they think. And so it's like I have gone backward in my relative age because I'm taking time. What are we all striving yeah. for? You know, <laughs> exactly. you're, you're striving mm-hmm. all your life to get the happiness and yeah. then you get to the end of a career or whatever. And for you, it was like a house of cards, what you were building, constructing. I mean, it was amazing. Well, they weren't a house of cards. I don't want to take was... away anything from what you did. But it was, in fact, like when you're a kid and you build that card house yeah. and then it actually can fall apart it's not it did it's yeah not for sure permanent. Did, our yeah. idea is mm-hmm. that we're building something no. permanent but it's not because anything can happen i mean look at all the people right now during covid what they think is permanent has been taken away this idea that you know and hey how yeah. about you like you've hit on a boat you have <laughs> yeah. if you had waited any longer if you would waited me. another Everybody couple thinks- of years they think I'm a genius now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you were the example. Right. And everyone's like, hey, what are you doing? How can you live? I mean, I'm sitting on this anchor ball in probably the most coveted spot in the entire Mediterranean. And I just follow my heart and it brought me here. I do bring a lot of people on board. I use this website called Crew Bay. And it's just, uh, I think it's even free for people. I pay not a lot. It costs me five bucks a month to stay on it. And I have a presence on there. It's where crew and boats connect. And yeah. And so I get people on here constantly and we just share expenses. And so it helps ease the cost of living. And uh, I was lucky to find this boat is bigger than I thought what I wanted, but that's a, you'll have to hear all about that if you read the book. I haven't printed it yet, but it's called Finding Grateful. And I love that title, Finding Grateful. Thanks. Yeah, wow. I, so it's really a metaphor for you know, life as well. Yeah. And I went to, uh, ended up in Turkey. That's a big, long story. I'm on crowd the airwaves with it here now but eventually i found it was already named grateful and there's a fact story behind the guy who had built it before me this doctor and and i just got lucky and, and found her on the right day but it's uh when i pull into ports or harbors and or when i will oftentimes you contact people by radio and or every time i do business i always have to say the name of the boat all the time like today I was shopping for sales or I, was sh- I had the motor fixed and they got to write, they always say, what's the name of the boat? And I say, grateful. And everybody has a moment to pause yeah. when they write it down. And yeah. it just never, it never ceases every time when they, they stop and they got to write it down and they stop for a moment before they write it and after they write it. And they always look up and say, that's a great name. Yeah. But more so, it gets people thinking. It's like that cup of coffee. They stop and think for a moment about, am I grateful? Am I being grateful? Am I being thankful for what I have? Is it enough? It's enough. It's okay. And I was so, so lucky to find this and just to make it part of the 
And then you saw it on. Um, I did. I, on, I connected uh, immediately with the name. Now, Dwayne, there's something that you wrote, which I'd like to just say. You said you just need a boat that floats. It will get you there and get you there to, you know, the happiness. That's right. And That's right. One of the things is you like to explore the off the beaten paths. You're not just sailing from marina to marina. So I know where you are now and you've explained, but I don't want people to think that you just go from port to port. Can you no. describe your connection to nature, the oceans, your garden? Because I yep. know also you maintain that garden. You pick up rubbish and things along Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm constantly picking up trash. If I see plastic, I will stop, turn around, and get it. Some days, I mean, on many days, I've written, if you watch my feed, I've I've published it a couple of times where I have literally filled up my dinghy with trash, like going through a harbor. It's usually after storms, and you're sitting in like a big harbor. I'm always anchored out, and next I try to... I like to be in cool looking places, not where people are, but somehow that trash will like sequester in that area and it's just floating everywhere. And so I go, I use, I use the kitchen colander (laughs) (laughs) to pick it up and the oars and I just paddle around until I get it all. And you can never get it all. I mean, it's like some of it sinks and it gets to the little tiny pieces, but I fill up, literally fill up my thingy and Okay, so that's one thing I try to do. That's just to, I mean, hey, I'm there. Like, who else is going to do it? So don't just, don't just turn your back on it. And being connected to it, yeah. You know, another thing I really got into this, I got real lucky and I met somebody when I was in Oakland who got me into swimming. There is a swim club there called Nemo. <laughs> it's Marsha Enthusiastic. Nemo? Nemo? Is in the fish? Memo, like memo. <laughs> no, like memo. Like, oh, did memo. you get the memo? Yeah. <laughs> M-E-M-O, Marsha's Enthusiastic. Oh, she's going to kill me for not knowing the other M. Uh, something I'll, I'll or, uh, Google it and I'll pop a link. And or, she is a coach. She's a really cool coach in Oakland. And she teaches what's called oh, Masters Organization. Yeah. Marsha's Enthusiastic Masters. So Masters in the world is just swimmers who are over 18, right? And once you get out of high school or college, you can swim. And I was never really a swimmer. Somebody else got me into it when I was like 55. And so I became a cold water swimmer, you know, cool. no wetsuit in, in the San Francisco Bay. And so I got into that. And so it's like a cult thing. A lot of people doing it all the time. And I never thought I would do that, but I did. And so now I swim all the time and I swim with the fish. And when I stay in a place, I swim the same reefs every day. I do about a mile a day. And you start to recognize the fish. And you realize this is their home, right? And they, they swim around in pairs. And then when you swim down, you swim against the grass. And I'm getting pretty good at it now. I can swim. I've, I've gotten down, like, where I'm moored right now, it's 45 feet deep. So I can, I can like, without tanks, I can dive down, take about three breaths, <gasps> boom, go down. I can hang out at 45 feet deep. I have to equalize three times by going down there. So I, when I first started, I could go maybe 15 feet. And now after two years, I'm going 45 feet and I can hang out. And I look around at stuff and I don't want to shoot the fish. It's like, I really don't want to catch them. Um, I, I do eat, I'm not a strict vegetarian. If I have a choice, I can usually do. But, but I think about it now and often. And, and I see how important even the sea is to how we live. On this, And I've heard this many times from other people is that and when you spend this much time in the water, you come back an environmentalist, right? And I guess I was sort of an environmentalist from ways that I, I created things to really save the environment. It's really, it was just from an efficiency standpoint. But now it's more of uh, a standpoint of, I care about all these systems about, you know, I see how fragile and interconnected everything really is. Like, cause that's what, that's what you really see when you have time to sit there and look at it. So maybe in my right age here, that's my message is that it really does matter. Yeah. You know, what you throw in the water really does matter and how, you know, sustainably we treat all these systems that are there, you know, 
that it does matter. You can't just wipe it out, clean it. And you have to really manage it. And so when I see that, and then when you start traveling, you know, think of fish. I used to think of, anyway, this is how I, I used to think about it was, oh, there's just a bunch of fish out there. You know, they're not any special fish, but that's not true. When you swim along the reefs every day, the same ones, you see the same fish. Like that's their home. Right? You can tell the different, they have different spots and they're all <laughs> together in like a little, like a little, you know, those, those two are together. They're together. You know, <laughs> so you got to be cognizant of that. It's like, okay, this is somebody's home. And so when you drop your anchor on it, you know, where it comes down, it's, and there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening right now who are divers and they go, yeah, no, no kidding. Dude. You know, and so. But, yeah, but there's a lot that, of people out definition. there who don't take the time. And because they don't take the time, they don't have that connection. And that connection is what's made you aware that, you know, like you say, you become an environmentalist. Yeah. The same thing it. with the coffee. You spend the time you become conscious, you become aware. There's something else I want to share that you wrote, which I just thought was beautiful. You said, sailboats are happier when sailing. Just add wind (laughs) and they hurl forward, taking a bashing that most earthbound structures would never survive and keep (laughs) right on charging forward to places of such unimaginable beauty, isolation, privacy, and ruggedness that it's almost surreal. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I read that. I that was on your Instagram account, Grateful Travel. Yeah. I cannot wait to read your book. Cause that <laughs> is so beautifully written. Oh. Thank now you. I've taken up so much of time. I know we've gone real low, but are you okay for just Have another we? couple oh. of minutes? Oh, yeah, I got all the time right. you want. Okay. I'm just, it's a beautiful night here. I'm Give under me, the stars. <laughs> Give me a quick fire. Old mantra versus new mantra for life. What would have been your old mantra? What's your new mantra? Well, I actually, I think I, I say it in there. And that, that last thing I, I wrote to you is that being there is more important than being good. And so what I mean by that is, is just, you just got to be there. Okay? It's like Chancey Gardner, you know, just being there. You, you just have to do the thing you want to do. Do you have to be really good at it? You have to have, and what I meant by this is go back. The first thing you asked is about, you know, any boat that floats will do. And I do mean about that floats because you don't want it to sink. Okay. So you got to be, you got to consider where you're going and say, you know, is it safe enough for where I want to go? And not every boat has to go around the whole world. You know, you can be on a lake that's calm and that's, if it's floating, it's good enough. So, but, you know, if you're going to go across the Atlantic and the North Atlantic in the wintertime, well, then you better have something better. So, but it, it doesn't, it, it's like, it doesn't have to be all fancy and new because the experience is almost identical of being out of sight of land it gives you an entirely different perspective. And so that's what I mean by being there. You just have to put yourself in that situation. And if they're better than being good, like, okay, you could say, oh, I got a brand new 2020, you know, X yacht that goes 12 or 14 knots, blah, blah, blah. You know, it goes so fast. And, or you could have a 1967 moody 37 foot thing that's, Okay, it floats, it holds the sails up, and you have five-gallon jugs with your water in it, and you're heating your food with a hot plate. That's fine. That's that you're there. You're being there. And so that's my mantra is just to be there. Now, and people are going to look at my boat, and you're going to go, oh, my God, you got the most beautiful boat. Well, I'm going to say it's the most beautiful. Every sailor has to believe theirs is the most beautiful boat. But I really do have a really nice boat. But I just got lucky with it. And I got, I was in the right place at the right time on the right day. And I never thought I would be, have a, a thing this beautiful. Or perhaps you did think you would when you were a little boy. Yeah, well, you know? well, when I was a kid, I didn't really, yeah, maybe it wasn't my focus. I wanted it to be enough, you know, practical enough and, 
And, but when I realized I could have this, I was just blown away. I mean, every day I wake up, I go, I can't even believe I can do this. I get, I get to live like this. And, but it, it, I looked for a long time and it was a big, long journey. It took me like eight months of traveling all over America and all over Asia, or all over Europe and finally Turkey to find this boat. Mm. And I mean, I broke down a few times to the point where I just threw it all in and said, I quit because I couldn't find the boat. I felt I wanted to fall in love with. And, and I meet people, they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to fall in love <laughs> again with what? With a boat. I bet you're grateful now. You didn't oh, yeah, give yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You didn't give up. So you're going to have to edit this down. So yeah, no. <laughs> And, uh, now tell me what's next. Wait, well, what's going to happen I just next keep for you? Going. I'm well. The COVID thing's a little weird because you're not sure what countries are going to be open. But for right now, I am going to head out of the Mediterranean back to Portugal. I'm going to try to surf some more. Uh, if sailing is my life, surfing is my mistress. I, I love. Surfing, and that's really the boat is a, is a function to just to get me the waves. You and so I'm to always, surf. I sail to surf. <laughs> yes, I do. And and so I'm constantly trying to get there. And so along the way, I'm constantly advertising on Crew Bay and a few other sites to pick up crew. And so that helps lighten the load for sailing and cooking and cleaning and you know covering the cost of fuel oil just to run this thing. And so we'll head back down to the Canaries and then I may, I'm trying to trot across the Atlantic, which is the boat's totally capable and we're, I'm totally capable, but whether or not the Caribbean's going to be open this winter, you know, is the world going to open up? So that's what's next. But I'm trying to do this. Basically I set out to do it on a 10 year plan. I'm two years into it. So I have eight more years to go and to sustain it. Part of my theory behind all of this is to be as lightly attached to the common world as possible. I'd like to make, to make my own grateful sailing school that has no association with anybody. And it's not to diss anything else because they're all like, the, okay, there's a Royal Yachting Association, American Sailing Association. They're great organizations. I have an ASA license, actually, my own. But I, that doesn't mean I can necessarily teach it. And I don't even want to have to teach under there. I'll teach you the same things. But if you just want to come on and just learn how to live like this, that's what I'm opening this thing up to. That's okay, just, just to ride along for a week or for a month. And that's my goal, right. is just and to share people, this as much as possible. People can get... In touch with you. Well, you've got the LinkedIn. Oh, uh, so no, uh, you've got LinkedIn. You're actually on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, you're on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. There's also at Grateful Hyphen Travel, which is your yeah. Instagram one. Do you have a website as well? Where yeah, it's Grateful Sailor. Grateful Sailor, because you yeah. are the Grateful Sailor. Yeah, I guess so. Now and I'll now. put all these links in for people. Um, Thank you. Is there anywhere else you like people to contact you or? That's good. And just, I'm on Facebook. It's Grateful Sailor on Facebook and great, they're Grateful Sailor or Grateful Travel. It's the same one. Um, right. On Facebook and I'm on WhatsApp. You know, you can just, my name and my phone, you can tell my phone number. It's fine. It's, uh, it's the American Very number. Very generous of you. <laughs> yeah. They Call around WhatsApp the world. <laughs> right. So look, thank you so much for your time. Is there any last thing you'd like to say to the listener or anything you feel that, you know, you, you really want to say? Yeah. If you think you can do it, you can. That's yeah. That's pretty you much think it. And you can do it. You can. You just keep wow. and then you should. There's only one of you. Don't try to be anybody else because everybody else is taken. My heartfelt thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Flowerhood podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show, like and review it on your favorite player. Be part of the greater Flowerhood community. Join the Flowerhood Facebook group and find show notes and information at flowerhood.com. I can't wait to share the next episode. Until then, 
Hey, why not stop and smell the roses?